Did you know that when we look at end time events, such as the rapture of the church, the church being mature, that in scripture, Jesus, as well as the apostles, saw this as a time of harvest. In other words, looking at the church through a perspective of an agricultural lens. Yes, the church is really a fruit that God wants to bring to maturity before he takes the church to heaven in the rapture. Stay tuned to our next episode. Hello again and welcome to our fifth episode of Biblical Keys to Understanding End Time Prophecy and Events. And um, I'm taking you through Matthew 24 because the words of Jesus are center and focus of all biblical prophecy. All the prophetic uh, visions and prophecies that deal with Jesus' return to the earth, um, the gathering of the church in the air, uh, the tribulation period, and many more events, all the prophecies of the prophets and the apostles must tie in with Matthew 24. And uh, in our previous episodes, the disciples are asking the Lord three specific questions. And we are answering those questions through the perspective of Jesus. In other words, what Jesus has to say about it. And he's giving an ordered, uh, detailed uh, review of the end time events and how they're going to transfold and how they're going to play out. And so we're beginning this time in Matthew chapter 24, verse 9. And we finished talking about the meaning of the beginning of sorrows in the previous episode, number 4. And Jesus continues to let his disciples know what's going to happen. Now, we have to understand, as I shared in the previous episode, that Prophecy can have dual application, even triple application. In other words, it can apply for a period of time, but also for a future. And it's very obvious from history that the early church suffered great persecution. And the Lord is also prophetically letting the church know um, what's going to be happening in the last days with the church. And um, for Western nations... uh, We in the Western world really have not faced the persecution that our brothers and sisters have um, on the eastern side. In other words, in Asia and the Middle East, Uh, they know persecution and many have been martyred uh, for Jesus and tortured for Jesus. Um, And so this is something new to the Western world. And uh, we sort of have have been isolated from that. But Jesus promised us. In his last discourse in John, the book of John, and when you read 14, 15, 16, and 17, um, in his last words to his disciples before he went to the cross, uh, Jesus said that we would be hated. In other words, his disciples would be hated uh, by all people. And there is a time coming when even in the Western world, and we can see it even now in the U.S., there is such hostility against Christianity. And we have to understand there's a spirit behind it. It's the spirit of Satan. It's the spirit of the Antichrist spirit that is uh, resisting and coming against the body of Christ. 
And so Paul, uh, excuse me, Jesus begins to tell his disciples that in the cycle of birth pains and sorrows that take place, there is another aspect that is going to be included um, in this uh, time period, and that is persecution. Then he goes on to say, Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Again, there Jesus is saying that, that we will be hated. In other words, if they hated me, they'll hate you. Um, If they did not receive my words, they will not receive your words. And then he goes on to say this, that uh, there is a period of time that many have already experienced this, but there's a period of time that is also coming where many will be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. Um, when things get really tight uh, and, and the pressure is on, um, there is a tendency for people to give up and there's a tendency for people to um, rat on others. And I think we've seen this in the COVID uh, situation worldwide. Um, it was amazing how uh, even governors and leaders of, of mayors and states and so forth uh, encourage people, you know, to report if someone was not wearing their mask, if someone was not inside their house. And, of course, it's all used for, quote, um, for health reasons. But yet it was very obviously obvious in many places that it was going beyond just the health reasons. But I, I use that as an example to show how easy it is, is to be able to turn someone in. Now, imagine a situation where uh, society has turned against Christianity. In other words, um, through government decrees, through decisions of governors and, and mayors and so forth, and it's put out that Christianity is dangerous, Christianity is extremist, that Christianity um, is just goes against the mainstream which has gone so far off into evil that evil becomes good and good becomes evil. And so there's now rules set in place that were made to protect our freedoms and our liberties. Now they're used against us. And so people come knocking to your door and they're wanting to know, do you know Pastor so-and-so? We're looking for him. Uh, Can you tell us where he's at? you know, and so forth. Now, this kind of situation, uh, our Chinese brethren have experienced it with uh, state police and so forth under a very uh, communistic uh, nation and, and spirit uh, in Cuba and, and other places in the world. Uh, the Western nations have not really come to that level yet, yet we can see that in part taking place in some areas. And so we have to understand that Jesus is warning us what's going to happen. And keep, and, and uh, perhaps one of the most difficult uh, things for a person to go through is, is betrayal. Betrayal. In other words, someone that you trust, someone that you have confidence in, and, um, and you think that they will protect you, uh, who you are as a person, and protect uh, your integrity as a person, and then they turn you over to the authorities. That's very painful. That's very painful. 
And so Jesus is saying that in this time that's that he's prophesying about, uh, there is going to be a, an environment, a spiritual environment that is rooted in Satan. It's, it's, it's satanic, it's antichrist. And that spirit has uh, grabbed a hold of the hearts and minds of a nation, a society, a people. And that hatred is going to be channeled against uh, Christianity. Because you have to understand that Satan seeks to dominate, control, and manipulate. Witchcraft is domination, control, and manipulation, intimidation. Uh, what we are seeing in the United States right now uh, with these uh, rioters and these criminals that are in the streets and these people that are using violence, intimidation, um, threats, uh, hatred, um, and so forth. What this is, is a spirit of witchcraft. And it is wanting to bring people under subjection by force, by fear, by pain, by threats, by intimidation. And so we have to understand this as a church, and we have to understand, uh, no, how do we resist this? How do we stand against this spiritually? Uh, and so... This is something that Jesus is warning us about, and we do find in the Scriptures keys to, to this, and one of them is principally found in Ephesians chapter 6 in the armor of God, which are aspects of God that have been worked out in our lives. And this armor of God will cause us to be able to stand firmly. Now, we have to understand, meaning when he says to stand firm, in the evil day, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13, um, it's not saying that we might be exempt from pain and suffering, but he is going to give us um, his ability, his strength, his armor, so that we can stand against evil, even as Jesus stood against evil. You see, Jesus was clothed with the full armor of God, and he withstood evil uh, to the point of shedding of blood, and he was a hero. And he was resurrected, as we know. And he sits at the right hand of the Father. So, coming back to Matthew chapter 24, uh, Jesus is talking about this offense, the spirit of offense that will be uh, operating, and the spirit of betrayal, and the spirit of hatred. And then he says, There will be many false prophets that will rise and shall deceive many. And the enemy loves to sow confusion. The enemy loves to sow confusion. And if you can imagine this, this environment of chaos, and then people are desperate. People are looking for a solution. People are wanting something to hold on to, some security. And these prophets arise, but what they really are doing is deceiving. In other words, they're even causing more harm spiritually. And then Jesus goes on to verse 12, which is a key point that we have to understand. Um, in, in, in studying the end, end times, we must realize that there is something that is going to be growing and something that is going to be maturing. And let's go to Matthew chapter 13 for a moment. Let's go to Matthew chapter 13. And in verse um, 18, 
through verse 30, 18 through 30, Jesus is talking about the parable of the sower, and then he's also talking about then the parable of the wheat and tares. And so Jesus wants us to understand something about the Word of God, and he also wants to understand what's going to be produced, the type of seeds that are going to be produced. Now, in the wheat and tares, the Lord Jesus is dividing uh, really all of mankind into two groups. And then in the previous parable, he is dividing man's heart into four areas. And what we need to understand is that the Word of God needs to find good and open ground that is receptive in order for it to bear good fruit. And the enemy is going to do everything he can to sow into that and to sow confusion into that and to do whatever he can to choke out the Word of God and remove it. And so in the previous parable uh, of the sower, uh, a hardened heart. If Satan can harden people's hearts through circumstances and pain, the word of God will not get in. There's uh, hearts that have stone, which speaks of rebellion and obstinance and resistance, obstinance and resistance. And if he can have those be maintained in the heart, then the seed will not grow. And the same thing thing with the, the weeds. If he can cause those to grow uh, and not be dealt with, then the seed will be choked. Now, in the parable of the wheat and tares, uh, the enemy does the same thing. He sows into, he sows confusion. And so Jesus speaks about a field that was sowed with good seed. But then these tares show up at the same time afterwards. Now, if you look and uh, go to Google it, and you look up the difference between wheat and tares, when they begin to grow, you cannot really tell the difference. You can only tell the difference between the wheat and the tares when they begin to come to maturity. And tares are poisonous. And when they have their little seeds on the stalks at the end of their the tip of the plant, just like the wheat, the stalk or the, um, the tare stands straight up up, erect. However, the the wheat, because of its weight, it bends over. And so when you look over a field, when a person, the farmer would look over the field, when it came to maturity, it was easy to distinguish the tares from the wheat. The wheat bowed over, the tares were stuck straight up in the air, arrogant, proud, resistant, defiant. And then the tares were bending over. They're humble. They're yielding. They have a meek and quiet spirit. And so they could go, the farmer could go in and uproot the tares without touching the wheat. And Jesus said this, and this is what's really important, in verse 30 of Matthew 13. And we have to understand this context that Jesus has for the end time. These are This is a key for us to understanding where we are spiritually. The church is not able to be taken out of this of the earth yet because she has not reached her maturity yet. 
And so Jesus said, let both grow together. This is Matthew chapter 13, verse 30. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. So you have to understand this context that that the evil that has been sown since Adam and Eve is going to come to its maturity. But the, but the tares are not going to be removed from, from, the, from the wheat until both wheat and tares come to their fullness. Come to their fullness. And so in Matthew chapter 24, verse 12, Jesus says that because iniquity shall abound, what's going to happen and what is happening is iniquity, which really means lawlessness. Um, and it, if you look at the Greek, it really means that which is illegal made legal. And so illegality becomes legal. Wrong becomes made right. And this is going to increase. And the tares, iniquity, uh, the seed of the enemy that he sowed, uh, which represents these uh, people's lives. And God, the Lord is, is using this as an example to help us discern between, uh, discern in the spirit. But this iniquity in people is going to come to fullness and to maturity. And then they will be gathered together. And then the wheat will be gathered together. And this thought of harvest really is the picture that Jesus has for the end times. And if we look at James chapter 5, verse 7, James chapter 5, verse 7, James is very, very clear about something, and he gives us something that's very key for us to understand. And he is going to use... Uh, two rainy seasons in the natural in Israel to help us understand the rainy uh, seasons in the spirit uh, for for these end times. In James chapter 5, verse 7, he says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Now that's when Jesus comes in the clouds. Be patient unto then, unto that time. Behold the husbandman, that's the father, John 15, waits for the precious fruit of the earth and has long patience for it until he received the early and the latter rain. And this is what we have to understand. In Israel, in the natural, there was an early rain for planting. Then there was a dry season. Then there was a heavier rain, a very heavy rain, that uh, came upon the crops to bring it to maturity. And then after it was mature, it was harvested. And so James is taking this natural truth and applying it spiritually and when we apply it spiritually to the church, the early rain was Pentecost. And we've gone through a very dry season. But the church is not at the maturity even of the early church in its glory and its power. And the early church is not the model. It is just the beginning. We have to understand that. And Paul brings this out very clearly in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26 and 27 that the church will be full of Jesus' glory and she will be without spot or wrinkle. She is going to be pure. She's going to be holy. We have not as a church, universal, come to that perfection yet. How is God going to do that? 
He's going to pour out the latter rain. He's going to pour out his spirit. He's going to pour out what he has prophesied in Joel upon the body. That will bring us into a maturity. That will bring us into an increase and a, and a, and a manifestation of his glory. And um, when the church is full of the glory that Jesus said that he has given to us in John chapter 17, the glory that he had with the Father is given to us. When that is manifested in the church, and this is going this is going to be a visible glory in Isaiah chapter 60, verse 2. This is something the church universal does not have much understanding and revelation of. There, there is out there, but a lot of them don't see this and don't understand this, that Jesus is not coming today or tomorrow because it is not the time for harvest. The church is not in harvest mode yet. In other words, the church is not mature to the point where Jesus can come and harvest us. And I want to close with this point of harvest in Revelation chapter 14. There are two harvests here in Revelation chapter 14, verse 14 through verse 16. Now listen to this very clearly, very carefully. In context of what we have shared about Matthew chapter 13, and the iniquity of Matthew chapter 24, 12 that the earth is coming into. And that corresponds to Isaiah 60, verse 1. Now the harvest of the wheat is mature. Now we are in Revelation chapter 14. We are in the end of the end times. And it says, And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat upon it like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out and cried with a loud voice, saying, Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time is come for you to reap. For the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he reaped it. Now, there's another reaping that comes afterwards. And it's an angel in verse 18, uh, verse 17 through verse 20. And the angel thrust his sickle onto the earth, and he gathers the wine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And so you see very clearly, there is a gathering of the harvest that Jesus is looking for, the Father's looking for first. And then there is a harvest of the wrath of God afterwards. And we will have to end here in our episode, because I'm trying to keep this around 20 minutes. It doesn't get too long for you. But I want you to keep this biblical key in mind when we are looking at the end times and when we are looking and coming into Matthew 24, verse 12, the end is not yet. Jesus has not told us when the end is yet. The end is not yet, he said, and we are still looking at the end coming. But there is an increase of iniquity of the tares and that's going to cause the love of many to grow cold. The love of many Christians will grow cold. And we need to stay close to Jesus. And then the wheat is going to mature. And when the wheat is mature, then Jesus will come for it. And so we have to understand that the coming of Jesus is really focusing on, if I could say this, with an agricultural perspective. An agricultural perspective. He's seeing the harvest of what he has sown, the good seed, and it has come to fullness of maturity. 
You see, Jesus is that grain, that seed that was sown, that died to produce a harvest. And uh, he mentions that, that if a seed does not die, it will, not, it will live alone. Uh, but if it dies, it will bear much fruit. And so Jesus' death was for the purpose of producing a tremendous harvest of those who are made in his image. And that is very exciting because we're going to see a glorious church uh, before Jesus returns to gather her um, for the wedding feast. In our next episode, part six, we will be looking at Matthew chapter 24, verse 12, that iniquity shall increase and we will see its relation to the apostasy that the Apostle Paul mentions in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So stay tuned to part six.